Back in the 70s, the mantra for teens was peace and love. In the 80s, the mantra for most teen boys was skate or die. Flash forward 20 years, and what do our youths care about? What's the Wi-Fi password? Thank you for tuning into What's the Wi-Fi Password, a place where we have discussions about topics and issues that are relevant to the teens in our generation and how to point them towards the gospel. If you have any questions or would like to learn more about this podcast, please email Joshua Shively at joshuas at calvary.com. Picking up in James chapter 4, we're going to go from verse 1 to 12 tonight. And again, it's this understanding of a real practical and living faith. Something that should challenge you, something that should convict you, something that should urge you outside of your comfort zone and outside of your little sphere of life and, and push you to a place of going, yeah, God, I, I hear your voice and I want to do something about it. Yeah, God, I feel your calling and I want to take that step of faith. I want, to, I want my life to be an evidence of this Christian walk. I want my life to be evidence of faith, not just evidence that Josh is a cool guy or, or whatever it is or evidence of I'm labeled as this or labeled as that. But I want my life to be evidence of faith. So pray with me real quick, and we'll get in. So Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for how true and real it is. And so we just give this time to you. In your name. Amen. So have you guys ever had a, like, come to a place in your life where, where you were just struggling with, like, identity? Right? So you're like, like, what makes me me? Right? What makes me who I am? Like, like what am I about? Like, what do I believe? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have that's cool. I'll be honest with you guys. Like I struggle with it still. Like I'm 34 years old. I've been in ministry for 14 years. Uh, I'm a pastor now. I've got a wife. I've got two kids, and I still struggle with it. Like reading the scripture today, and if you just read verse one, it says, "What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that, not this, that your passions are war within you?" Like I still struggle with this, guys. I still wake up sometimes. There's even nights of ministry where I'm like, what the heck am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? Like, they don't even care. They don't even like me, right? Like, they didn't talk. You know, I'm teasing. I'm not, I don't get on the pity pot. But the idea is that, like, I struggle at times. And, like, I think many of you can agree with that. Many of you can, can even say, yeah, I, I go through that at times. And so James here lays out something that would be really familiar to any human, not just even a Christian, but just a human that would read this. Someone that says, yeah, I, I feel that struggle. I feel that, that quarrel. But see, with Christians, it's even a step further, which even makes it harder at times. When there are days and then I feel like that, where I'm like, no, I just want to curl up in bed. Or I just want to binge watch Walking Dead all nine seasons, right? Like in one day. Like, or I just want to eat like six Ben and Jerry's, you know? Or like, I, I just want whatever Josh wants. There's those days, but the fact is, as I step out and I'm, I'm not just Josh anymore, and I haven't been since I was 13, but at, at 13, I had my new birth, as it were, in Christ. I became this new creation. Jesus has been doing this work with me, and, and he's been doing this work in me. And so as, as I come to a mature place in Christ, and I come to a mature place in my faith, I have to understand that there's a battle going on within me every day. That this battle is not just going to come and go with my emotions. It's not just going to come and go with how I feel or my circumstances or, you know, what's going on in life. Did I win that game? You know, does that person, you know, like think I'm cool or do they like me? 
or that person didn't respond to my Instagram, like whatever it is, circumstances are going to change. They're going to come and go. But the fact is I have to come to the realization, and hopefully you do too tonight, that there is a battle literally going on within you every day if you call yourself a Christian. And it, it boils down to the battle of the flesh and the battle of the spirit. Battle of the flesh and battle of the spirit. As James says, I'm going to read it again. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So I ask the first question, what makes you fight? Like as a congregation, as a people, even, even as believers, what makes you fight within yourselves? Right? Why, would, why would the church fight? Why would Christians fight if we're supposed to be this new creation in Jesus? Then he asks the second question, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He basically answers it with another question by saying it's because of your, this battle that's going on within you. In a sense, like how can we have this like perfect little Christian utopia if we're not even in this utopia within ourselves? Even within ourselves, there's war. Even within ourselves, there's a fight. There's a struggle of flesh and spirit. And we can even take it a step further, a, a, a battle of sin and sinlessness. You know, a battle of pleasing Josh or honoring God. It's this constant war that James wants us to understand. This truth, this truth of the spiritual and physical war is that we really, like we really should see life for what it is. Like the truth, the truth of this battle of struggling between the spiritual and the physical that we have to see life for what it is. Uh, it's in a sense, and I, it's funny, I said it tonight talking to my kids, like, like walking in a naive heart or a naive spirit really doesn't give you any type of benefit in this life. Now don't get me wrong, there should be purity. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in spirit, right? We should walk with purity. We shouldn't think everything's a sexual joke. We shouldn't run, let our minds run in, in a sexual way all the time. But there should be a, a sense of purity within us, but a na- like a, a naiveness. We have to understand that this war is, is raging within us and it's raging within our world. And there is a fight between serving God or serving self. And this is the, what we see in our world today where you see a, a staunch like, tidal wave of secularism literally covering our world and a sexual and moral revolution. And you see a, a biblical mindset that combats that. It says, no, like, life does matter. Abortion is, a, is something that we should confront and we should talk about and we should realize what it is. Like, like gender and sexuality is something that God created that actually resembles creation, resembles who God is. And that's something that's, that's real. And human life matters. It matters enough to God to send himself to die on a cross for it. See, these are battles that the world wants us to just like, kind of be consumed in this, in this kind of moral and sexual revolution that these things don't matter. And this battle is happening internally. It's happening externally. And Paul kind of defines it in Romans chapter 7. You don't have to turn there, but just listen up. Romans 7, verse 16 through 24, he he gives us kind of this broad view of it. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be the law that dwells that, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Now, this is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy that literally knocked off a horse like, by the light of Jesus, 
like brought to a place of salvation, actually taken out for a while from even like any type of limelight and was taught by Jesus. I literally had close to 10 years between his conversion to when he comes back on the scene in the book of Acts. And, and, and even in this place of, of years of ministry, years of sacrifice, years of serving Jesus, knowing Jesus, like being sensitive to the, the, the push and to the, the leading of the Spirit, he says this in Romans chapter 7, that I am in war within myself. That even though I, there's things I know I should do, I don't do those things. And the things I don't want to do, I do those constantly. And he just basically says, like, who will deliver me? It's this cry out. Who's going to save me? And see, so you guys, as we walk as mature Christians in this world, we should say this daily to ourselves, like, who will save me? Because I can't pick myself up by my own bootstraps. You ever try to do that? Right? Like, I almost thought about bringing one of you guys up to try to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Like your, your shoelaces, that's what those are. Just, I know so, yeah. um, so. <laughs> The idea is that like, it doesn't matter how physical you are, how, how mentally strong, how spiritually adept. The fact is you cannot be your own God and satisfy that, 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 that heart to worship. You cannot be your own God and, and fulfill your need in life. You will let yourself down every time. And yet in this struggle, in this fight, Paul cries out, who will save me? Not only are we doing that daily as we cry out to Christ for, for his help and his, his, his leading and his love and his grace and his mercy as we struggle in the inner war, but the fact is the world that we live in is crying out for this. It is. You, you can listen to any type of, of, of try to, a non-biased or a biblical worldview even of news and what's happening in the world around us, what's happening like all over the world. I mean, today was the 70-year anniversary, you guys, of when, when Mao, the director of China, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, China stood and declared Maoism, right? And, and if, you, if you know your history, Maoism literally caused 300 million deaths within China from, of their own government, starvation. And it's, it was this insane belief of, of communism and, and socialism that just, that literally killed. It was, it's one of the greatest, like, like um, massacres of our, of our generation. And here we sit 70 years later from that, and Xi Jinping, the, the ruler right now, he's created this new mindset that is just a mirror of Maoism. And, and their military might is even greater than, than you know, 70 years ago, so who knows what's going to happen. But the idea is, is that's within our generation. I see many of you like, I wonder, I wonder what that's about, right? Look it up. It's sad that your schools don't teach you about that anymore. It's sad that you guys don't understand what that is because it's one of the most horrific like, massacres of all like, human history, really. Even. And yet... We sit here, and that happened within a lifetime. We sit here today where, where our world in itself is struggling. Our world in itself is crying out, like, who will save us? And yet they're looking all over the place other than to the God that created them. And see, James here wants us to understand that this, this is the cry. This is the call, whether internally or externally. And so we have a choice to make in this as Christians. We have a choice to make. Am I going to continue to, to allow myself to, to be my own God? Am I going to continue to try to save myself? Am I going to join the secular revolution and, and have a cry for something and try to stand for something when really it's just, it's just another cry out for help? Or am I going to look to the one who is truly like ready to save me? Am I going to look to the God that created me? Am I going to look to the one who can truly save me from this, this war within myself? James continues in verse 2, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not do, or sorry, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions, you adulterous people, 
Do you not know that that friendship with the world is enmity with God or, or and it's against God, as it were? And we can take this all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. If you think about it, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. They have their two sons, Cain and Abel. And there's this kind of, God gives them their blessings. One's of, of, of the field to harvest. Another one's of sheep to, to, um, to herd and to, to be a shepherd. They bring their offering to God, knowing who God is, knowing for their, who their creator is. So they lay their offerings down and Abel's was accepted because it was of his first and his heart and his mind were right to worship God. And Cain's was not. It wasn't the best of his crop. It wasn't the honoring of God. So God accepted Abel's. Cain got ticked off. He got mad. As James says here, you covet and so you murder, right? You desire you do not have and so you murder. So Cain, he slayed his brother. I didn't try to use that word, slayed. <laughs> Slewed his brother. <laughs> Smited. Um, he killed his brother. <laughs> he murdered him. And then God went to him, where's your brother? My, my brother's keeper. He tries to lie to God and God says, your brother's blood cries out to me from the dirt. The idea is from the beginning, man has struggled in this. Even in a place where God is giving them, <laughs> he's giving them, here's your trade. Just honor me in it and I'll bless you. And even in that, man couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle it. All the way back to literally like our most ancient ancestors, they couldn't handle this. And then he continues in verse three, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Right? We compare this to, and even contrast this to James chapter 15, verse 7, where James says, no, whatever you ask in my name, or I'm sorry, uh, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, whatever you ask in my name, you will receive because you're in a right perspective. And so James, what he's doing here is he's giving us this contrast because then he ends in verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is, against, is being against God and enmity with God? What he's doing here is lining up this contrast with us as we see the fight, we see the battle within ourselves, we see the battle externally. He's laying up this contrast for us. Like kind of where are you going to stand, kind of in a sense, in all of this, like we find in this reality, right? Like what choice are we going to make? And really, he gives us a choice. Do you know that God gives you free will? Do you know it's like one of the greatest gifts God has given you is free will? He loves you enough as his creation to let you choose. Like we take that for granted at times, right? We do. And especially within our Christian faith, sometimes we think like, well, I don't really have a choice, right? Like Seth growing up, it's like, you know, he's a really stubborn kid. And he'd be like, dude, you have two choices. You either listen to me or there's a consequence. He's like, I already got to a certain age. He's like, but those aren't my choices. <laughs> my choice is this. It's like, no, you don't get that. Well, then how do I have a choice? Like, really, I don't have a choice. You're letting me like choose either consequence or listen to you. And it's like, well, yeah, that's the way it works when you're young, I guess. But the fact is, God doesn't work that way. He gives you a choice. Yes, there's consequences, good and bad, for the choices we make. But the idea here is that he gives you a choice. And so as James lays this out, and as he puts out that picture, he's not just defining the world, but he's defining that struggle within us. As he says there, you know, as we read first, that struggle, that war within us, he, he then defines it with murder, covetousness, right? Quarrels. He defines it with even, even adultery and asking God for things within selfishness. And that's why God doesn't answer. But see, the, the opposite of that, and then he continues, right? Therefore, right? He says, therefore, in verse 5. Now, whenever you see therefore in the word, what do you want to do? Ask what it's there for. <laughs> so he defines this, or he gives us this quarrel. He defines it there in verses, in, down to verse 4. Then in verse 5, he says, therefore, right? He wants us to understand why he's saying this. Whoever wishes to be friend, a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that has made uh, to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Now, he puts this therefore to bring to attention the fact that, that in this choice, we either have a choice to be of the world or of God. Right? We have this choice to be of the world or of, of the things of God, a secular mindset or a biblical mindset. Now, when I was a kid, when I was going through middle school or going through high school and youth group, this was almost kind of taught like, like you're either of the world or not of the world, right? You remember those stickers, not of the world? You guys ever remember those? Yeah, Are those still kind of around? Okay. The, the idea, though, or how I perceived it when I was in high school was then I can't even hang out with the non-Christian kids, right? I can't, I can't be around them. Like, I can't listen to non-Christian music. Like, I can't watch rated R movies. Like, I have to, like, be away from the world. I have to be out of the world, Right? And so it was taken to this extreme of, of, I can't be around anything that's not Christian. So it's like you go to Christian concerts and you listen to Christian music. And that's back when Air One and K-Level were really big. And I know they're like declining quite a bit, right? I mean, does anyone in here listen to Air One? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple. Okay. Okay. Yeah, do you? Okay. It's not what it was. Let's just say that. It was something better. It's not what it was. Okay. Um, but see, the idea was, was it was such a contrast that it's just like you couldn't hang around. You couldn't be around. But is that really what Jesus was about? Is that really who Jesus was? No. I don't think Jesus would be, honestly, you guys, in a lot of our churches, I don't think this is where Jesus would be hanging out. Like, I think he loves you all. I think he likes you. But like, I think he would be out with the sinners. I think he would be out with the world. Not being, doing what they do, but he'd be showing them the light of what they are, of what they're missing of what they need. He would be answering that quarrel within them. He'd be answering that struggle to say, no, like what you're doing, you can keep doing it. You're going to reap the consequences of those worldly actions, but I'm the answer. Like I'm what you need. But see, we as Christians, like we have to mimic that. That has to be who we are. Now there is a line, you guys, and there is a struggle in that. Again, as he started this message, this quarrel within us, you're going to see what those other kids are doing. You're going to hear what they did at that party. You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to perceive like, oh, that looks like a lot of fun. That, that couple over there that are dating and are sexually active, it looks like they're okay. It looks like they're doing all right. Maybe, maybe I want that relationship. You're going to think like that substance or that, that whatever, man, you guys, whether it's marijuana, whether it's alcohol, you're going to look at that and go, man, they look like they're having a lot of fun. Like what's wrong with having a little fun? But see, the thing is, in those, within those choices is addiction. Within those choices are consequences. And see, we have to be mature Christians and we have to look past what's truly going on. That within that person, just like within you, is a, is a quarrel, is a fight, is a war going on. Mm-hmm. And see, as Christians, we're choosing to not be of that world. Now, hang out with them. Be around them. To, not to the point that it's causing you to sin. I know there's a point in my life where, where a lot of the dudes that I hung out with for a long time, and I loved dearly, they, they, were, they, were, they were. They were smoking pot and they were, they were drinking a lot and they were getting into harder drugs. And I was hanging around with them. And, and as I hung out with them, they would ask me, hey, do you want to partake? You want to smoke pot with us? And I'd be like, sure, why not? And I did that a couple times. And the conviction within me was so strong. And it finally it dawned on me that I can't change these guys. Because I would, I would be like, no, like, I'm going to hang out with them. And I'm going to get them not to smoke pot. When the fact is, the conviction wasn't that it was my job to change them. But the fact is, I couldn't say no to them. I couldn't. I love these guys so much. And I wanted to be a part of what they were doing because I, I did. I, I truly loved these guys. They were, they, were, they were my brothers for a long time in my life. But I, I couldn't say no to them. And so I would partake. I would be a part of it. 
Now see, in that, I'm allowing that war within me to rage, and I'm, I'm losing that battle. But see, now I can hang out with those guys, and I do when we go up north, we'll have breakfast together. And if they offer me to smoke weed, I'd be like, no, I'm good. 34, I'm a pastor, I'm okay now. <laughs> I don't need to partake in that. And see, the idea is that that's, that war within me, that battle's been won. But see, I've had to make that choice, as James lays out here. Who, therefore, whoever wishes to be friends of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, in your small groups, they ask the question, do you consider yourself a friend of God? And see, that question is, is we see through Scripture that God had a lot of men that, and women that he used through Scripture, but there were only a couple that he said, like, are my friend. Right? Like, Moses was a friend of God. David was after God's heart. There, there are these definitions given to these men and these women who pursued God. And see, to ask ourselves, like, am I a friend of God? Would I, would I betray my best friend here on earth? If you have a BFF, do you guys use that term anymore? No. <laughs> if you have a friend here on earth, right, that you, you care for dearly, would you betray them? Right? Would you stab them in the back? Would you, would you go against like, like something or would you do something that would hurt them? No. Or I hope not if you're a true friend. So James is laying this out like to be a friend of God, to be with him, to, to, to draw close to him. We have to say no to some things on this earth. And not because God's this big killjoy that just has this big, like, no tattooed across his forehead. And he's just like, no, right? But the fact is, because he knows the consequences. That it's not only going to hurt him, but in the long run, it's going to hurt you. And so he lays this out, that this battle, this quarrel within us, it's because we're fighting to either be friends of the world or friends with God. And the fact is, the world wants you to partake and conform and be part of what they are. Where God's saying, no, I don't want you to do those things, not to conform, but to, because those things are going to harm you. Those things are going to wound you. Those things are going to take you away from me and true peace and true joy. James continues with another point. Therefore, it says, right, in verse, uh, verse 7 there, or kind of that second half of verse 6. Therefore, again, looking at why is he saying this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wrecked, be wrecked and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Basically, in the, this little section, James gives us this poetic rant. As he looks to this war, as he looks to this battle within us, he wants us to understand that there are practical steps to, to, to saying no to the world and yes to God. There are actually practical steps to this. Now, this can be taken as, as a works-based faith. Like, if I do these things, then I'm, I'm, I'm pleasing God more, right? If I live a more holy life, then God likes me more. If I, if I help out in children's ministry more, or if I, if I you know, serve more, or if I do more, then God will love me more. When the fact is, no, God loves you with everything, okay? This is not a works-based like, definition of faith here. But God loves you with everything that He is. He showed that through, through setting Himself to die on a, on a cross, right? He, he showed us as through, through the life of Jesus that he loves us with everything that he is. But what James wants us to understand is that as mature Christians, we, we are saved with grace. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. What are you giggling at, Jenny? It hurts, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. That's all I heard. <laughs> it was cute. <laughs> As mature, as mature Christians, as mature Christians, right? Like the idea is that you are saved. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been brought to this place of understanding this battle. You're choosing to serve God. And the question, logical question would be then, how do I continue to serve God? 
How do I continue to work out the salvation that I've received freely? Right? How do I continue to serve God with, with everything that he's given me, all the grace and mercy that I've received through salvation? How do now I serve him? So James gives us these practical steps, right? Basically by saying God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So stop being so proudful or prideful. Right? Don't walk around with this, this puffed up head thinking that you're something special. But walk in humility. Walk in meekness. Walk in a sense where, where, where people would look at you and even though you have power, even though you, you, you have boldness and courage, that you would walk in meekness and they would be able to respect that. Submit yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. A very practical step of say no to sin and it's easier to say no next time. Say yes to sin now, it's easier to say yes next time. I mean, that's just a practical truth right there. If you haven't figured that out yet, it's just, that's reality. If you say no to sin, it's easier to say no next time. If you go home and that computer's in your room or that friend's there to talk to that you know you shouldn't be, be hanging around, you say yes to that now, you're going to say yes next time. But if you say no now, it's easier to say no next time. And James even brings it to the spiritual realm. That's the devil. That's, that's, that's our enemy. That's that war. That's not, even the, that, not just eternal, but external. He will flee from you. And then the other half of that is draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The truth that as you spend time with God, you're closer to him. Now, it's not, again, a works-based thing, but that's just truth. You spend some time reading the Bible. You spend some time praying. God loves that. You're, you're connecting with him. You spend some time in silence and solitude just sitting, just going, okay, God, what do you got for me? I want to hear your voice. You spend some time just, just seeking him, asking him questions. The fact is, God, he loves that about us and that free will because the fact is you making that choice to do that is to him is saying, yeah, you want to be with me. No one's making you do it. No one's making you pray right now. No one's making you read the Bible. You want to be a part of me. That's, what God, that's God's heart. He also says that, and then he kind of gives us some more practical, like cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wrecked and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is leading us to this faith, you guys, of, of this understanding that, that this, in this reality right, that we live in, in this war that we're, we're observing through this scripture, the fact is that there are things happening in this world that should sadden us. There are, are, are things in this world that should break our hearts. And, and in that, where, where he says, like, turn that joy to gloom, not that we should walk around like monks and wear like camel's hair and shave our heads and like eat nothing but onion soup, right? Like, like that's not the life we should live, okay? It'd be a pretty weird youth group. Um, but the idea, she's going on like a mission trip and just all shave her head. No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. <laughs> like, that's a church right there. Um, they're committed, man. They're not just wearing shirts, man. They got, they shake their heads. <laughs> But the idea here, right, the idea is that there are things in this world that, that cause us to mourn. There's brokenness in this world that causes us to mourn, you guys. Like I said, today was one of those days in ministry where literally, like, I just wanted to cry. My heart broke for something that I had, I had to make some decisions on and I had to be a part of. And you guys, like, it just breaks my heart to see somebody that, that has all the potential in the world and, and can literally, like, lay everything down before God, but they harden their heart and they make a choice no matter how much counsel you give them, no matter how much love and grace and compassion and guidance, they make that choice and they choose that direction and there's nothing you're going to do to change it. And it breaks my heart to see that because they don't see it. All they're seeing is the tapestry in front of them this close. And yet stepping back, it's like, you know, here's the tapestry. Here's the chaos. Here's the pain. Here's the sorrow you're going to endure in that, down that trail, but you're going to take it anyway. And you guys, like, that's what should bring us to mourning. That the, the world that doesn't see God the world that doesn't see hope, 
the world that, that puts up their fists and say, I'm going to fight for this cause or that cause. And there may be some morality in that, and that's okay. But see, is there really any true outcome to it? Right? Is there really true, true, any, any truth to, to what they're fighting for if it's not for the right cause? If it's not for salvation of man? Because the fact is this life ends and, and those, even those causes, so many of those causes just kind of turn to dust. So James wants us to understand this. He's kind of digging through this. Okay, finishing off this, guys. Verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? As James finishes this little section, verse 11 and 12, um, he wants us to continue this practical, real living faith and an understanding of, of really our base nature is to judge each other, isn't it? Like, I mean, honestly, guys, that's why I brought that first question up. Maybe it took a little turn, turn into racism or I, mean, I don't know how you guys' conversations went. But the whole idea was when you perceive someone, when you look at somebody, when you first meet them, we all have a judgment call, don't we? We all make a judgment call. The things they wear, what they're listening to, the way they talk, the way they walk. We all make a judgment call when we see somebody. Right, when we first meet somebody. Now, this isn't necessarily leading to racism, racism if we let it kind of dwell in there and sift and we start applying maybe circumstances or certain things that we apply to, to what, the way they look like. But see, we all make judgment when we first see somebody, right? You guys all, the first time you saw me, you're like, who's that white honky? Like, what, what is this dude doing, right? Like, who is this guy? He's goofy and he's, I'm seizing. Okay, so anyway, um, I mean, it's like, the idea is when we see somebody for the first time, when we interact, we all judge. It's part of human nature. We do. Okay? Uh, James wants us to understand, again, in this reality, in this realness of faith, he lays it out, but are we able to judge? Should we be judging? Should we be ones that judge? Should we, should we be ones that judge each other in the same way that God judges us? Now, this isn't the whole Tupac, only God can judge me. That's not what James is saying here. You guys know who Tupac is, right? Okay, I'm not... McKenna, you know Tupac? Okay. Hey, you didn't shake your head. I'm like, man, I'm dating myself right now here. The idea here is that, that it's not just that only God can judge you. Because, hey, we hire judges. We have men and women all over our country who are judges. They judge crimes and they judge laws all day long, right? Are they wrong in doing that? No. It's, it's, it, it creates order. It creates law, right? That's, that's what they're supposed to do is fairly judge those laws, right? The wrongs and the rights. The fact is you and I. We can make judgment calls. We can, right? If, if I know Santi is, is, he's off doing something he shouldn't do, right? And I hear about it and then I, I know for a fact that he's doing what he shouldn't do. What, is it not right for me as a brother in Christ to come to him and go, hey man, I, I'm making a judgment call. What you're doing is wrong, right? What you're doing is wrong. There's sin in this. Now I'm not judging him in the sense that God can judge him, right? That, that now you're, you did that? Santi, seriously, you're going to hell, man. Like, that would, be the wrong, that would be the wrong judgment. That's not my call. I don't know his heart. Right? I'm not the lawgiver, nor I'm the judge of the law, as James is saying here. That's God's job. But see, as Christians, we are to be real, we're to be true, and to say, hey, man, like, that thing you're not doing, it's not healthy for you. Right? That music you're listening to, those movies you're watching, that friend or that relationship you're in, I see you going downhill. I see bad habits like, establishing themselves in your life. Like, whatever it is. And see, as brothers and sisters, as a youth group, we should be doing that for each other. And see, we should be trusting each other enough to when someone does come to me and say, hey, what you did offended me. 
or what you're doing right now, like I can see that there's like, that's not good for you. There should be trust both ways. Now that doesn't usually work, does it? No. And so what this does, you guys, it brings us back to this quarrel. It brings us back to this fight. It brings us back to this struggle where, yeah, like we should be a place of trust. We should be a place. But the fact is we don't. So to end this sermon, guys, to end this message, we should ask ourselves some questions, right? How do we stop this? How do we stop this quarrel? How do we stop this fight? How do we walk in love and not judge each other and not, not walk in this way of the world, but in the, love, in the way of Christ? Because really the fundamental truth of Jesus was that he walked in love. And then number three, how do we resist our true nature to judge, to sin, and to rebel against God? How do we do these things? Well, first off, we walk in wisdom and a sound mind. Walk in wisdom and a sound mind. Ta- taught on godly wisdom and worldly wisdom last week. And the idea is that don't walk around like some naive baby, you guys. Middle schoolers get to do that. Like, you don't get to do that as high schoolers. You're in a, in a tough enough world and a real enough world where you should know what's going on around you. You should understand what's happening in the news. You should, you should know that today was the 70-year anniversary to one of the greatest tra- like, travesties of man that has ever happened in, in, in literally written history, you guys. You should know about Maoism. You should know what's happening in the world around you within your generation, your parents' generation. You should understand what's, what's going on in the world. You should see the pain and the sorrow and you should even see the hope as Jesus brings, as Christians go into those places and bring the light of, of, of the Lord. The fact is, you guys, whenever there's some huge like, world catastrophe, guess who the first one's there? Christians. We always are. You never see it on the news. You don't hear about that. But whenever it's some great like, travesty, whether man-made or nature-made, Christians are the first ones there with water and food and trucks of it, you guys. Every time. Right? And I will, I will put that to the bank. Right? Don't be foolish, you guys. Know what's going on. Know your own tendencies. Know what causes you to trip up. Know, know your own sin nature. What causes you to, to, to go against God and into the world. Like, understand yourself. Don't be foolish and think, yeah, if I hang out with this girl alone, nothing's going to happen. Like, no, it's going to happen. <laughs> the fact is, you guys, you put yourself in a compromising position, you're going to compromise. Know your nature. Understand it. And know that fight that's within you. Don't be foolish. Number two, we remember how, how jealous and in love God is with us. Right? To, so kind of like, how do we walk in love? To know how much God loves us. It's kind of the idea that, that when we understand how much grace has been given to us, how much more do we give grace to those around us? Right? When we understand how much forgiveness Jesus and God has given us, that's how much forgiveness we give back. When we realize how much God loves us and is jealous for us, it's that much simpler for us to give love to those around us. Number three, you guys, make the little choices that lead to the big yeses to God. Make the little choices that lead to the big yeses of God. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're like, man, I want to walk closer to God. I want to be more real in my faith. I want my faith to be more living. But like, how do I do that? How do I cut out all the bad stuff in my life? Or how do I, how do I make the big steps just to get right with God tonight, Josh? Right? Well, the idea is that you probably won't tonight. <laughs> you can come to me and confess. I'll be like, hey, like, yeah, here's the steps. But you're probably not going to go home and change that tonight. Right? But it's the little yeses to God. Right? It's the little things, the little choices we make that help to win that war, that fight within us, and make us draw closer to God. If you remember back in that last section, some of those little choices are resist the devil. Resist those sins. Like I said, say no to a sin tonight. Right? Say no to, to something tomorrow you know you shouldn't do. Right? You say no to something. Right? It's okay. Like we came to a realization with our, with, with our kids a couple like months ago. We're like, we just need to say no to them more. <laughs> like, like we just, and so we just did. We started saying no. 
They're like, why? Because no is a complete answer. That's why. (laughs) Just deal with it. But just say no to sin. Say no to something tonight. It doesn't have to be everything, but just something. Draw near to God. And this is a definition of of multitude multitude things, right? Like multitude multitude of things, right? Like read your Bible. Pray. Go walk on the beach and talk to God, right? Like just be with him. Draw near to him, right? Cleanse your hands, right? If there's something impure in your life, there's something that, that's in your life that, you, you, that you, you know shouldn't be there, right? If you're doing something you know you shouldn't do, confess that thing, right? The second one is, is pure, be pure of heart, right? If there's something in your life that you know shouldn't be there that when you do it, it's not just even this thing of like, oh, is that sin? But when you do it, you feel like crud afterward and you know I shouldn't be doing this thing, right? Cut that out, confess it. Right? That's something that would draw you near to God. That's something that would help you walk in this real Christian faith. Uh, mourn and weep over your sin and brokenness in this world. Understand your sin nature. Understand that it, what it costs God. Understand the broken world that we live in that needs a Savior. Let that bring some mourning to your heart. Let that bring some weeping to, to your, your emotions. Like understand that there's brokenness in this world. There are real people like really suffering all around us. And then the last one is humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself. Like wherever you're at, however you find yourself tonight, you guys, walk in some humility. Like find, find that humbleness and, and walk before the Lord in that. Know that he's God and I'm not, and that you're not in control of things. Like we'd like to be in control, don't we? Yeah, we all do. But see, when we come to that realization that God is in control, like really in control because he's kind of God and I'm not. <laughs> and there's a lot of things I'm not in control of. That's, that's walking in humility before him. So, Father, we come before you right now. We ask for uh, just your guidance in this, this word as we studied it and read it tonight. God, I ask that it would just it would penetrate our hearts and our minds, that we would leave this place changed tonight. Just thank you for this youth group. Thank you for all these young men and women. Um, Lord, that you brought them here tonight. I love seeing their, their beautiful little young faces. And, God, I know that you love seeing them even more than I do. And so, Lord, we just give this thing to you in your name. Amen. Calvary Monterey's youth ministries meet on Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Monterey. Both middle school and high school students are welcome. Come on out. You belong here. And I promise, we don't bite.